Welcome to Lethal Autonomous Weapons, 10 Things We Want to Know. This is Episode 3, Are Lethal Autonomous Weapons Compatible with the Law of War? You're listening to an interview with Marco Sassoli, hosted by Paola Gaeta and Alessandra Spadoro. Hello everyone, I'm Paola Gaeta, and I'm Professor of International Law at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. At the Institute, I lead a research project dealing with lethal autonomous weapons and criminal responsibility for war crimes. I'm here today with my co-host, Alessandra Spadaro. Hello, I'm a research associate on the project led by Paola. Today, we are tackling the question of whether these lethal autonomous weapons, when they are deployed on the battlefield and used, therefore, during an armed conflict, can be used in compliance with the laws of warfare that are also called international humanitarian law. When the relevant treaties of international humanitarian law that regulate warfare, namely the additional protocols to the Geneva Conventions, were drafted, the drafters had no idea that one day states might want to develop and use weapons that act independently from human beings on the battlefield. So we'll ask today uh, to our guest whether specific challenges arise from the use of lethal autonomous weapons in warfare. Our guest today is Marco Sassoli. He's a friend and a colleague, and he's a professor of international law at University of Geneva and a renowned expert on international humanitarian law. I'm sure that in this episode, we will learn a lot from him. Certainly, I have learned a lot from him about international humanitarian law as a student and as his assistant. Marco published in 2014 uh, a paper titled Autonomous Weapons and International Humanitarian Law, Advantages, Open Technical Questions and Legal Issues to be Clarified. The main content of this paper was also reproduced in his much-discussed book, International Humanitarian Law, Rules, Controversies, and Solutions to Problems Arising in Warfare, that was published in 2019. Marco, welcome, and thank you for joining us on our podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you. (laughs) Well, thanks. So, Marco, uh, in your paper uh, about autonomous weapons, you wrote something that really stuck with me, so I'm going to read it back to you. Um, You said, while I would never claim that robots can be more humane than humans, I'm convinced that only human beings can be inhuman. And to me, this shows uh, quite powerfully and quite, quite clearly that, unlike many other scholars, you are not absolutely opposed to the development and to the use of autonomous weapons, so robots that can target and kill in warfare without uh, human intervention. Um, Could you tell us a little more about what prompted this reflection and what you meant with this sentence? Well, perhaps first I should clarify that I am against war. I am against any war. The question now is, as always, with international humanitarian law, and I speak only about the possibility that such uh, robots comply with humanitarian law, Humanitarian law applies to armed conflicts and is not humane because it's more humane not to make war. But if you make war, then you have to compare the possibilities to make war with such robots with the reality of warfare made uh, currently by human beings. Now, I'm not sure that it is possible to comply 
with humanitarian law through autonomous weapons systems because it's always the human being who will use the autonomous weapon systems. But obviously, the autonomous weapon system has artificial intelligence, and so this creates new uh, challenges. I simply say those who want to say it is necessarily incompatible with humanitarian law, I disagree with them. What we need to know is whether one day it will be technically possible and the interpretation of humanitarian law, which is made by some people saying that uh, targeting involves subjective judgments. Obviously, a computer cannot exercise subjective judgment. And I think this is an advantage. But the first point is obviously whether a computer can comply with the quite complex uh, rules of humanitarian law. But I wouldn't uh, assume that it is impossible. And if it is possible, we exclude a lot of inhumane realities in current armed conflicts because robots cannot be inhumane. But obviously, those who program the robot could be inhumane, but then we come back to the normal rules, which unfortunately, if you look at today's reality in armed conflicts, um, the normal rules are often not respected by human beings. Okay, Marco, let me let me jump in because, of course, you you mentioned a variety of issues. But going back to the question of whether uh, in the future autonomous weapons, uh, uh, which can act independently from a human decision in selecting a target and hitting the target, okay? Um, the people, scholars against the development of such weapons, they usually argue that this would be um, contrary uh, to the laws or to the ethics because only human beings can take a life or, or death targeting decision, who claim that uh, under international humanitarian law, there is not such a legal requirement, uh, namely that this body of law does not uh, necessarily require that always a human being uh, takes the life or death targeting decision against another human being. Uh, can you explain a bit? Well, I mean, I would never suggest that... Um a computer decides whether someone is sentenced to death. But here, um, targeting persons is not a death penalty decision, but uh, is based on objective criteria, whether someone is a combatant, a civilian directly participating in hostilities, a member of an armed group with a continuous fighting function, and as a proposal, I could even have some sympathy with this idea that only human beings can decide to take away the life of another human being. Also, I'm ethically, but everyone has its own ethics. I'm more shocked by the idea that one human being wants to kill another human being um, than by the idea that... Uh, uh, according to objective criteria which hopefully correspond to humanitarian law, such targeting decisions are taken. Anyway, 
even if I were in favor, uh, this is not the reality today. Um, belligerents sent missiles, and the one who presses the button to send a missile does not take an ethical decision to say, now I kill this human being. Hopefully, if humanitarian law is respected, the one who pushes the button determines A, that the target is a military objective, B, that uh, incidental effects of this targeting uh, will not be disproportionate, and that uh, the, uh, all feasible precautionary measures are taken not to hit civilians. So, in my view, those who make this argument uh, see a medieval uh, fight between knights or between samurai who look each other into their eyes and then take a decision. I kill him, I don't kill him. This is simply not the reality of today's collective weapons. And obviously, I'm, everyone has an observer standpoint. And I must say, in the former Yugoslavia, I have seen people who have looked in the eyes of their neighbors and have then cut their throat. So uh, I wonder whether a robot will do that, but that's another chapter. So the essential point is that as soon as collective weapons are used, and this was already with the Großberta artillery uh, in the First World War when the Germans were uh, sending um, artillery over 40 kilometers towards Paris. Please don't tell me that the one behind the artillery gun took an ethical decision to kill another human being. Hopefully, they complied with IHL. And it is simply not the existing IHL that you have to take an individual human decision to kill that human being, which would also be quite dangerous because, again, uh, targeting is not a kind of death penalty, has nothing to do with the individual who is on the other side, but with categories. Marco, I think that this is very interesting because in your paper uh, concerning the rules of international humanitarian law that uh, regulate the conduct of hostilities, uh, you make a distinction between, on the one hand, the development of autonomous weapons and the obligations that states have in relation to that, and on the other hand, the actual use of autonomous weapons uh, on the battlefield and the obligations that attach to this, if they are developed. Uh, why is it important to make this distinction? Well, simply these are two different aspects we have to take into account. The development of such weapons, and here there is an obligation to review new means and methods of warfare to determine whether their employment may in some or all circumstances be prohibited by IHL. And obviously, with such a complicated uh, system than a little autonomous weapon system, I uh, stress again, outside very controlled environment, um, this must be uh, a process where the review must intervene at different stages. And um, 
the one of the problem is that it can be made only once the technical capabilities of the system are known and then you must adapt the technical capabilities to the requirement of IHL. And one of the risks is obviously once too much is spent for the development of such a system, then it becomes in practice impossible to conclude that, okay, we tried our best, but unfortunately it is impossible to have a little autonomous weapon system which can respect INGL as well as an average soldier. For instance, one of the uh, tricky things is that the little autonomous weapon system must recognized when must be able to recognize when um, an enemy legitimate target, a combatant or a fighter, surrenders or is wounded. Obviously, even human beings cannot do that perfectly. Yes, indeed. I wanted to exactly to ask a question, Marco, about the standard that shall be used in the development of little autonomous weapons. Uh, but there are other obstacles, um, however, uh, that uh, you mention in your paper, for instance, the principle of distinguishing between uh, military targets and civilians. Can you just tell to our listeners what are these other main obstacles? Well, I mean, first, uh, yes, there is the problem. Uh, how identify legitimate targets. So we know that uh, human soldiers are not uh, perfect in this, but um, the autonomous, um, a little autonomous weapon system um, may perhaps be better or less good. And artificial intelligence is nevertheless promising because it can learn and therefore it can have more experience in a very little time than any, um, than the most experienced soldier. But one could imagine that uh, the system must be programmed to uh, be able to come to the conclusion, this is a situation which I cannot judge. And therefore, like a soldier, sometimes a soldier needs uh, new uh, instructions by the commander. In my view, one of the greatest challenges is to evaluate the military advantage and therefore little autonomous weapon systems cannot remain autonomous for a long time because one of the essential uh, issues on determining military objectives, not individuals who are uh, legitimate targets, but also proportionality is to know the military advantage which depends of the plans of the commander and so the little autonomous weapon systems must be constantly kept aware of the plans of the commander if you want the system to calculate for instance proportionality or to know whether something is a military objective because if you program it in the morning perhaps the operation develops in a way where this target is no longer very important, but uh, has only very little importance. And if there are a lot of civilians around, then it becomes disproportionate. Also, when it was programmed in the morning, it looked as if this was uh, still not disproportionate compared with the military uh, objective. 
And obviously, and here we come back to the difficulty uh, we were speaking about, um, one has to take feasible precautions to spare the civilian population. And there, the question is, how do you define feasible? Um, it cannot be the feasibility for the system because this depends on how you produce the system. So in my view, but this is controversial, in my view, you have to compare it with uh, human soldiers or human commanders because IHL as it is now has been made for human beings. If we use a robot, we need totally different standards and much more restrictive standards. Uh, in my view, international law has still something to do with states, and so states should then adopt such more restrictive and machine-focused um, standards, because I agree that the comparison with a human being does not always work well. Um, so let's say that these weapons um, are in fact developed and that in theory they're not inherently indiscriminate, so they can distinguish between military objectives and civilian objects. Um, but then it comes the question of how they can be used. And one of the main principles on the conduct of hostilities is the principle of distinction. So the belligerents have an obligation to distinguish at all times between military objectives and civilian objects, and they must direct an attack only against the former. Often it is necessary um, to have uh, some sort of human assessment uh, to discern in practice uh, whether uh, a person is a lawful military target or not. Uh, but in your paper, you argue that this um, human assessment might be replaced by that of a, of a pre-programmed robot. Um, how is this possible in practice? I don't know whether it will be technically possible, but if it is technically possible, then the debate goes whether such an assessment is a subjective or an objective assessment. If it is required to be a subjective assessment, then it is unlawful to use a computer to do it. I think, although everyone, including people I admire very much, write that in the end, at the end of the day, this is a subjective assessment with the of the commander, but this is a description of the reality while in my view, it is not uh, a normative proposition that it must be a subjective assessment of the commander, because otherwise it would mean that some civilians who are um, have the bad um, luck uh, to be bombed by one commander are lawfully killed, while others are not lawfully killed, simply because this is a subjective decision. I would say this is the unfortunate reality in armed conflicts, but theoretically there are objective criteria and therefore ideally, and this is a general proposition about uh, legal argument, ideally everyone should come to the same conclusion.
you say that in the in 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 the, in the with respect to the principle of distinction there should be and there are objective criteria that uh, should lead the targeting decision but other commentators as you know very well argue that at least the principle of proportionality namely the principle that requires uh, that uh, the collateral damage uh, caused by a military attack uh, uh, shall not be disproportionate always requires a subjective assessment. Do you agree with this statement or do you think that also proportionality can be objectively assessed? I agree that presently, in particular, the military do not want to establish clear parameters and ways to compare the parameters, I would say mathematically, to establish the proportionality and many of them also because of a certain anglo-saxon legal background where proportionality is translated into reasonableness it's simply a code word which in my view does not imply that it is a subjective decision but i agree that currently the proportionality rule um, state did not accept uh, sufficiently clear parameters of what you take into account, what you don't take into account, and how you compare the two sides. And I agree that as long as such parameters do not exist, you cannot ask a poor computer to compare them. In your paper, you say that one of the advantages or foreseeable advantages of the developing of these little autonomous weapons could be indeed that of leading to an agreement on objective parameters. Is it so? Yeah, no, I, I agree because at the end of the day, you can tell a soldier be reasonable. But you cannot tell a computer be reasonable. You must tell the computer which are the parameters and how to compare the parameters. And now, uh, I would simply say, as long as we do not find an agreement on um, the parameters and how to compare the parameters, which is a very difficult thing because you do not even compare human lives, which would already be a very complicated issue, but you compare by hypothesis human lives against a military advantage which is on another level. But this is a challenge we should discuss, but we have to discuss even outside uh, little autonomous weapon systems. I think a positive side effect would be that if I'm the programmer for such a system, I ask those who are my clients, now tell me how they should compare. And then they cannot tell, well, tell him he should be reasonable. Let's move on to uh, another rule of uh, the conduct of hostilities, so the principle of precautions, which requires that before and during a military attack, um, all feasible precautions uh, must be taken in order to comply with the principles of distinction and proportionality. And in your paper, you say that um, lethal autonomous weapons might be better than humans uh, in certain circumstances um, when it comes to the obligation of taking precautions. Uh, can you give us an example of when this would be the case? Well, that, that this would be the case. Uh... 
that they don't fear for their life. They will take risks you could never expect a human being to take. Um, and they can process information, sorry for us human beings, much more quickly than a human being. And therefore, they can adapt to the situation at hand in a much faster way. But obviously, I agree that there remain problems. I spoke about the question, what is feasible? But also, who, who must take the, uh, the precautions? And obviously, everything depends on how you program uh, the system. And that obviously, it must be predictable what the system does. Now, I understand that it's the very essence of artificial intelligence that it is not predictable. It must be possible to make that sure and that the, the artificial intelligence um, is nevertheless not so autonomous that it could come to the conclusion that it is somehow better to attack civilians than to attack combatants for the aim. But what I understand from technicians, this risk of going rogue can be limited and one can through programming, even if the system has inter artificial intelligence and is learning to say certain things you can't do, even if you come to the conclusion that that would be objectively the best solution. So there are cases where the humans perform uh, better than, um, than an autonomous weapon to comply with the principle of precaution. Yes, and one of the difficulties is, and the controversies, is whether you may, assuming that I'm right, that you have to compare with human beings, because if you don't have to compare with human beings, you have to, is simply to adopt new rules which are machine-focused. But let's assume we compare with human beings. One of the difficulties to establish whether uh, the machine can only be used if it is better in all respects or at least equal in all respects, or whether we can somehow compensate. Let's say um, the machine is better in verification and in uh, choosing the right time and means and method, but by hypothesis, it is less good than a human being in interrupting the attack if the situation changes. Let's assume that. Is it then lawful to, to use a little autonomous weapon system, or must we say no? If there is one respect in which we need a human being, okay, then... As today, there is quite agreement about uh, the necessity of meaningful uh, human oversight. One will have to focus this human oversight on the specific issues where the human beings are better than the machines. There are some people that say that autonomous weapons might be somewhere in the middle, maybe between uh, super combatants and uh, weapons, and so that we might need new rules of international humanitarian law to deal with them. Um, do you instead believe the the existing rules of international humanitarian law are 
adequate to deal with um, the use of autonomous weapons, um, or should we develop new rules? Well, as I said before, if those are correct to say it is a completely different situation and we should not compare with human beings, then obviously we need new rules because currently we don't have rules on anything else than on how human beings have to conduct themselves. Now, I would say in the meantime, we can live with the existing rules, but I fully agree that we should agree on interpretations of the existing rules. Just to give you one example we did not yet discuss uh, is uh, the concept of uh, direct participation of, uh, in hostilities, which makes you targetable. Now, you cannot say it is impossible to say that uh, if you use a little autonomous weapon system, no one directly participates, but it's only the system. It must be the last human being intervening in the chain, which at the end of the chain, there will be a use of force, uh, of violence against the enemy uh, that directly participates. States are engaged in discussions here in Geneva to define more exactly, and there are interesting proposals to define more exactly, okay, what do the existing rules of IHL practically mean for this, that, or the other problem arising in battlefield when an autonomous uh, weapon system is used? Sorry to interrupt, humans. You're running out of time. If you'll allow me to ask the last question, Paula. Marco, what are three adjectives you'd use to describe lethal autonomous weapons? Well, perhaps I don't have the adjectives, but uh, descriptors which are not grammatically adjectives. I mean, it certainly makes me uh, afraid. Um, it creates a lot of, in my view, often also irrational passion, in particular uh, if you compare it with um, existing weapons and existing uh, warfare. And there's also some hope that uh, it could uh, improve the situation of people affected by armed conflict. Because unfortunately, I have to tell you that most people die from a very low technology and not from high technology. And the development of technology, if you compare the number of civilians incidentally killed in aerial bombing in the Second World War, in the Vietnam War, and in the most recent armed conflict, say Iraq 2003, you must admit that there is progress thanks to technology. Well, Marco, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Marco, for being with us. Yes, thank you for your wisdom, Marco. Alessandra, perhaps a quick reminder for our listeners how to contact us? You can contact us via email at laws.warcrimes at graduateinstitute.ch. We're also on Twitter. You can follow us at laws underscore warcrimes. In our Twitter bio, you can find a link to our website where you can read more about our research project. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning into episode three of Lethal Autonomous Weapons, 10 Things We Want to Know with Marco Sassoli. 
All the books and articles mentioned in this episode are linked in the show notes. There you will also find our contact details and a link to our website, where you will find more episodes and read more about our lethal autonomous weapons and war crimes research project. Thank you for listening, catch you in the next episode, where we will cover the question, are lethal autonomous weapons ethical? Over and out.